Welcome to the Property Management Mastermind Show with your host, Brad Larson. Brad owns one of the fastest growing property management companies in San Antonio, Texas. This podcast is for property managers by property managers. You'll hear from industry leading professionals on best practices, new ideas, success stories, and lessons learned. This is your opportunity to learn about the latest industry buzz surrounding property management, as well as tips and strategies to improve your business. Enterprise Bank and Trust, the bank you all formerly knew as Seacoast Commerce Bank. With the same team, the same benefits, and an expanded and improved product suite. Enterprise Bank and Trust specializes in trust accounts and business banking for property managers. One of their best features is a cash analysis program where they can assist in paying your property management related invoices. Contact Allison at 619-988-6708 to learn more. Are you tired of chasing tenants to comply with having renter's insurance? Insurance Management Group can solve this problem with a master tenant's insurance policy. Keep tenants in compliance with your lease agreement and help protect all parties involved. A master tenant's insurance policy can also add an additional revenue stream to your business. Contact Derek Scott at 918-728-8992 or visit imgadvisors.com. To learn more, listen to the Property Management Mastermind Show podcast, episode number 36. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Property Management Mastermind podcast. I'm your host, Brad Larson, and today's guest I have the world famous, the one, the only, Allison DeSaro from what is now Enterprise. <clears throat> and she used to be formerly, she is an artist formerly known as Seacoast, and she has <laughs> since changed into the Enterprise uh, banner. So we're going to be talking through some of this stuff. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Allison for a quick introduction. Allison, how are you today? Hey, good. Happy to be back um, with the new name, Enterprise. Thanks. Well, that's not your last name now. We actually uh, allowed you to keep your last name, so yes. that's good. We kept that, that good-looking husband of yours happy, right? Yep. So tell us a little bit about who you are, because not everybody may be familiar with the the one, the only. Yeah, and I, that's crazy if you're not. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so I'm Allison DeSaro. I've been with Seacoast Commerce Bank, which is now Enterprise Bank and Trust, since early 2010. Um, so I've been banking only property management companies for 11 years now. So I came to the bank um, <clears throat> when they were, before they had even kind of gone into this division, they were, you know, sort of banking property management companies. Um, but just for the same reason that any other company would bank or bank would work with property management companies. And we decided to start a division specifically focused on property management. and. We realized the missing piece in the very beginning was really just compliance. Um, bankers don't understand the compliance on trust accounts. They didn't then, and they definitely don't now. Um, so I started that division. We have grown substantially since. I think it was a big, we can get into this later, but I think that was a big part of why Enterprise wanted to work with us. Um, since then, I have onboarded, gosh, I think we've, we've onboarded probably over 600 management companies, definitely over 600 management companies just don't have the exact number, but I am responsible for hundreds of millions of trust funds um, <clears throat> between those property management companies. And I've been doing just that for, again, like I said, 11 years, and I'm going to continue to do just that. So um, it's proven to be a great success and a little notoriety as well. 
So the trust account thing is a big deal. So what you've been able to do in the industry is really educate a lot of management companies on how to properly structure their trust accounts to meet mm-hmm. and or exceed their state requirements. Now, all the states are different and you become familiar with all the different states and Seacoast, which is now enterprise, can operate in quite a few different states. And it really has become an educational thing where you've actually raised the bar in the industry to help people understand exactly what they need to do to mm-hmm. comply with their state. And there are states that can walk in and do audits anytime, anytime, mm-hmm. any day or night, whatever, just walk in and audit your books. And there's other states that are just kind of like Wild West, like let you do whatever you want to do. And there's not a lot of trust requirements on them other than naming the accounts correctly. And I know I'm paraphrasing and kind of cutting that to the chase, but what's your opinion on that? Yeah. And so it's funny, I I feel like it's kind of a blessing that I came from California. I started this career in California because California is absolutely the strictest state when it comes to trust account compliance. And even to that point, a lot of times they actually don't even give the right guidance to the brokers, the property management companies, or the banks on how to do it right. But in your industry, they're the strictest. They will, they can order random audits as much as they want. And so I feel like that was good because that kind of put the pressure on because we started in California, making sure that we understood each state's requirements. Um, but you're right, some states like Texas, for instance, it's, it's kind of like you, you kind of do what you want until there's you know an investigation. Um, I always say, yes, I absolutely want you to pass an audit. Absolutely. I don't have clients who haven't passed an audit, at least in the banking regard, right? Can't speak for anything else. Um, But that's not my biggest concern when I talk about compliance. So like you kind of alluded to, an auditor doesn't actually know whether or not that account is set up as a true trust account at the bank. It may meet their standards, which coincidentally enough is different in every single state that you're in. I mean, I look at states uh, regulations that we bank in versus another state and it's completely different. So it's just their standards of what they think a trust account is. So an auditor can walk in and from their naked eye and looking at the documentation that they request, it may look like it's a trust account and it will meet their standards of what is a trust account. And then you can pass that audit in that regard. But there are several other risks beyond that, beyond just a failed audit that happen actually more often than a failed audit. And I speak to auditors all over the place. Certainly, I don't know them all, but many of them will also agree that they don't even know if it meets that. So they see what they see. Um, The risk that I try to protect you from, so like you said, exceed the, the state requirements. I like to exceed those state requirements. The risk that I try to protect you from are Uh, issues such as lack of FDIC insurance, which is whether it's impacting you right now or not, it's pretty much, you know, it's always a risk, right? Um, Not a risk until your bank goes under, but it's a risk. But the more common one, the most common one that actually happens more often than a failed audit is, um, you know, asset freezing, right? So the best way, that's the best term for it. But Really what that is, is let's say that there's a governing entity lien, a lawsuit, a judgment, anything against your corporation or your company, those accounts are not set up correctly at the bank, then they look like they're your assets. And then those assets can be frozen as well, right? And so then you have a much bigger problem. So I'm kind of getting into the weeds here, but for me, I'm not always concerned about the audit. If you're set up correctly, 
the way that we set you up, the way that you should be set up on what I refer to as the federal level, you're going to pass that audit in that regard, um, regardless, right? But if you're not, then the only benefit to passing an audit is that you pass an audit. And if any of those issues happen, I promise you the Department of Real Estate is not going to walk in and save you um, from, from that issue. A couple of freakout moments that just hit me just a second <clears throat> ago. And some of this is old news, but here's the one that people need to understand. If you don't have your trust account structured correctly, it only takes one bad judge. And mm -hmm. it, could, it could be one ticked off tenant that goes to a really bad judge and files a air quote lawsuit against you over a security deposit, and the judge freezes all the assets for the entire company. Now I'm telling you, people are like, oh, that can't happen. Oh yeah, it can, because there's lots of bad judges out there and they have almost no recourse for making bad decisions. The other freak out moment, which is really kind of old school, old news, you've probably heard this question a billion times, is the FDIC covers up to yeah. X amount, $250,000 of, uh, you know, insurance for those accounts. Well, that's per person, correct? Per account. Explain that better for me because I woke up one night thinking, oh my God, you know, what if, what if somebody like breaches my trust account? All they're going to give me is $250,000 back. I've got a thousand clients with $2,500 each. I mean, you do the math. It's like, oh my God, where am I going to come up with that? So talk me through that, mm -hmm. that wake up moment in the middle of the night. Yeah. So this is like one of the most common topics in your industry lately, um, which is good because that's what I've been trying to get across to everyone for years. Um, and it's definitely getting more, it's definitely getting noticed more. So also a misconception, which I think you just may have ac accidentally made, is that everyone thinks that the 250000 FDIC insurance limit is per account, right? So let's just say, Brad, I'm going to use you as an example. None of this is factual, just hypothetical. Let's say that Brad has Six, or let's say he has three accounts totaling, a, you know, a million dollars. If he takes that money, you know, over the, his, let me start over, 250000 in each account, right? You're, in, you're insured up to 250000 on one of those accounts. So if Brad says, okay, I have more than that, and I need to take, um, you know, excess money and put it into another account to get the, F the FDIC insurance on that account. That doesn't apply. It is per tax ID number. So if that tax ID number has one account, you're insured up to 250,000 on that. If that tax ID number has three accounts, you're still only insured up to 250,000 on that tax ID number. But so people, people owners, say you know, to me- we have one, Let's say we have one owner with 10 accounts, 10 property mm -hmm. management yeah. accounts, but they're running under one tax ID. They're not going to have two hundred fifty thousand dollars of escrow with us or you know, any sort of trust. So we're we're pretty clear on that, and that makes a lot of sense. We're per tax ID. That helps quite a bit. But that's the thing. So, and I'm sorry if I didn't get to that point. So that's the thing, though. It that's just the standard FDIC insurance at a bank, whether you have a trust account or not, right? So now, or well, whether you have a quote unquote trust account or not, that's the standard FDIC insurance. But when you have a true trust account set up then each beneficiary within that one account, so that account can have a million dollars, right? But each beneficiary within that account is insured up to 250,000. So even though that account is, in, is under your tax ID number, like your as in the company, if it's set up as a trust and you're acting as fiduciary for that and you have the proper documentation to prove that, then each beneficiary tax ID number, which is essentially your landlords or your owners in this case, is insured up to 250000 So that account, if that account had a million dollars and there are at least four beneficiaries within that account, that account is properly insured. 
But the issue is, is that more often than not, truly like nine times out of 10, and that's probably being conservative, um, the banks don't set that up correctly. So they just put a nickname on that account. And they think that the, in, the broker, the owner walks away thinking that that has sufficient FDIC insurance. But it doesn't. You can change that nickname tomorrow. I mean, you could go and change that nickname to whatever you wanted tomorrow. Lodi's yeah, we, bet fund. You can try, change yeah, we, it to whatever you'd like. We see a lot of that with the local <laughs> banks. I mean, there's the bigger banks that I'm not real fond of, like the big national chain banks. But the mm -hmm. local banks, everyone likes to establish a local banking relationship, which is also good. But they need to be able to set those trust accounts up correctly. Just by nicknaming it trust account, yeah. it might be air quote compliant with your state. But if you don't set it up correctly in the backside, this is again where you can help in, in some of these regards. Mm -hmm. Is just this really sets people up for a challenging operational situation. If right. again they get into a challenge where there's money that goes missing, or if there's some sort of a uh, bad judgment that goes against them, all of the above. And we're not trying to be you know doomsday. The sky is falling stuff. But you know, all these conversations we're having right now have been talked about hundreds of times mm -hmm. and they keep popping up in our forums as kind of like, hey, you know, I'm starting a new management company or I'm, or I'm transitioning from X bank to X bank, uh, just double checking on how I set up my trust accounts correctly. And, and there's a lot of people that want to chime in and help. And so it's good to hear from the expert who's done this over 600 times, you know, with over 600 property management clients that they can set these things up correctly. And that, that's a big thing. So Enough about that stuff because that's like almost putting me to sleep. That's like me talking to David Borden about you know SEO. I just want to out on pillow. Hey, I'm just just telling you. you, you well, you know, you get this URL and that URL. I'm like, oh, just wake me up when you're done talking. Okay. Well, it's very specific, and you have to try and like you know edit it down so that people so that who are not involved in banking or SEOs understand what we're talking about, and that is a little bit difficult because it is a very specific subject with a lot of legal and compliance involved in it. So. so let's talk through some of the good stuff here, because one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on the episode is to talk through the transition from Seacoast merging with and or inside of enterprise. And I want you to explain that from kind of start to finish, because I just might have even butchered that intro. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So Seacoast merged into enterprise in November. We just uh, it's March right now. And we just did our client conversion, which is essentially moving our clients from our old program to our new program, um, which is essentially to you guys, your online banking, right? <clears throat> That's what that means for you. A lot more internal speak behind that. But so, you know, Seacoast was uh, about a billion dollar bank. And when I joined, I think we were like, uh, maybe a hundred million dollar bank, right? We were very small. Um, but we were about a billion dollar bank before we merged and we merged into a $10 billion bank. But it is interesting. So uh, I'll back up here. Seacoast has always been focused, especially, you know, our specialty deposits team, which is where the property management team lies. We've always been very, very focused and um, recognized for not just the specialties that we have, but also the customer service, making sure that, you know, no matter how much we grew over the years that you still felt that feeling of, you know, your personal banker, right? And that is, I will say that's a little bit easier to do when you have a specialty division, because you're only talking to that specialty team. But um, it was very important for us, you know, we, we had certainly been, I know, even though most of this was over my head, but I know that we had been approached several times over the years um, to merge, and it was never the right fit. <laughs> 
so we had have finally merged with Enterprise Bank and Trust because we felt like it was a great marriage. So Enterprise was very, very interested in what most banks were actually pretty interested in, which were two two parts of our business. One, our SBA lending division. Uh, please don't quote me on air because I should know know this, but um, we are consistently our SBA division. We're consistently out of five thousand banks. We're usually somewhere around like number ten, somewhere sometimes as high as you know, like number six, for instance, in the industry, out of 10,000 banks who specialize in SBA. So we are, for lack of a better word, we are a monster in that industry. So that was the first attraction. And then the other attraction was our property management and HOA division. That is a very, very difficult division to start at a bank. And believe me, everyone knows banks want that money. They want to get into that division. I mean, they want to get into that business. Um, but it's very hard for them to sustain it as well as learn it, right? So that was a common theme with many other banks that you know wanted to work with us. That's just something that they want. They want to get a team that already knows what they're doing, so that they don't have to try and start from scratch because it's difficult. SBA well, building those relationships is key. I mean, that's what you've done over the last decade is you've built yeah. really good relationships to where. People understand, they know you, who you are, they trust you, they're, you know, we're fully involved in, in your life as well. You have family and kids that we're all part of. That's the one really cool thing about what you're doing with enterprises. They just can't go out there and replicate that. I mean, you've been no. working at this industry, providing the education you just did 10 minutes ago, talking about through the trust accounts. You've been doing that for your whole time with Seacoast and it transitions nicely into enterprise. Right. But absolutely. And I thank you. And I appreciate that. And I agree with that. And I think that anyone from enterprise would echo your statements. But the biggest thing, the biggest reason why it's hard for banks to get into it is because of the compliance. They don't know. There's, there, yes, there's compliance for you guys, but it's also compliance for the banks, right? When you get into an industry like that, and it's hard to keep up. Believe me, I'm, I have for several years been reached out to by many banks. Banks just saying like, hey, can you just teach me how to do this? Of course, it's not my job to teach another bank how to do my job. Um, but it's very difficult for them to wrap their heads around what needs to be done. So there's a couple of things to that. But regardless, so enterprise, um, we've been in discussions with enterprise and, and we, and you know, not we, I had nothing to do with it, but the bank had decided to merge. The reason why we felt like it was such a great marriage was because, again, like I said, it was very important for us to keep that personal banking relationship feel. Um, and we felt like we could do that with them. While they are a much bigger bank, they are 10 times as large as we were. Um, if you really look and get to know them, they, and we, we knew of their, I mean, I have known of their name for several years, but they have consistently kept that feel. So they have teams that work with, you know, I, they are specialty deposit or specialty banking teams, not in property management or HOA, but they kind of have the same idea as us. Like, get the industry specialists, stick to what they're good at and service those clients directly, right? So we were able to keep that um, as well as we were, especially in the property management team, which is what I candidly was most concerned about, um, the property management team, we weren't being absorbed into another property management team, right? Like that, to be honest, that as a banker would have been my worst nightmare because we created this and everything we've done, we've been very successful at. So we weren't being absorbed into another one. We were we are creating this wheel for them the same way that we did it before at Enterprise. Granted, we're bringing in our, you know, close to a thousand clients, but we're 
doing it for their for additional business as well for them. Um, so in addition to that, we we're able to keep those benefits that we've been giving our clients, which is the compliance and the monetary benefits, which we can get into. Um, everything that our, the industry has known to love, uh, grown to know and love about us. But we have extra products now as well. We have extra services, extra products, more suite of benefits to give back to, you know, our clients and new clients as well. Um, like I said, they're a much larger bank, so they have better lending flexibility. They also have more locations. It did open up. I think it actually, to be honest, only opened up one state for us, but so far, but, um, you know, right out of the gate, but we actually can now start growing and opening up in other regions. You know, we, we have more flexibility. Um, and like I said, the products, which we can certainly get into, I just don't want to keep rambling, but the products are what I think are much more sophisticated in products that we've needed over the years. Oh yeah. You were rambling. I went to sleep there for a little while, but I woke up and, <laughs> and here I am again. One of the things I want to tell people is, you know, at RentWorks, you know, the, the property management company that I do own, we, we've been using Seacoast Now Enterprise. The transition from Seacoast to Enterprise was seamless. The customer service is fantastic. Uh, you know, I really do feel that uh, our team loves it. We have two accounting coordinators. They like using the, 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 Everything that goes into the banking systems, we use a lot of dual authentications. We just do the right things to where we have all the, the safeguards and checks in place. And I think that's really impressive. So as far as the, the, the blocking and tackling and tactics of using a bank, it doesn't get any better. Then you start talking strategy of, okay, where is the big stuff? Like the loans, the products, the, yeah. the other opportunities for expansion, all that's there as well. Imagine a world where the phone doesn't ring, but tenant leads still get pre-qualified and scheduled. Where in-person showings get coordinated automatically in real time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Where occupants and owners are automatically notified of showings and leasing reports. Or imagine, no one has to show your rentals and they get leased faster than ever, safely and securely. That's the world of Tenant Turner, Come learn more about our beautiful scheduling software and world-class customer support. Call us, 888-976-4638, or visit www.tenantturner.com. You know, everyone's going to ask you because you have over 600 plus, you know, property management companies that you've onboarded. You have a thousand plus clients in the property management world. So what are some of the trends that you are seeing and we touched a little bit about this on the green room before we started this show, but you know, there's the trending stuff is really something that everyone knows you're a part of. I mean, you, you have a really good feel for what's going on in the industry. So let's maybe spend a few minutes touching on some of the trends that you're seeing. Well, I'll touch on two that come specifically to mind right away. So one, and this actually brings me back to the enterprise products, but one is integrations. A lot of people are, are starting to want integrations and their softwares, property management softwares and vendors are starting to open up for integrations, right? So we've been actively working on integrations to, to catch, keep up with that. Um, we're working on several right now. We have three tiers of priority. Um, so there's going to be prop, property management. I can't say all the ones right here in public, but there's, uh, we're, we're working on open API. We're also working on integrations with um, some of the top property management softwares. Um, HOA management softwares as well. And that's one of the greatest things is that we couldn't do that before. Enterprise has a team of, I think, 
again, don't quote me on this number, but I think it's like 11 engineers in-house who are building that. We didn't have any of that. We had like a small IT team at Zico. So that's great. Um, but I've been uh, noticing a lot. I got to interrupt you. One more, one, one second. Yeah. I, I asked you a question, but I got to let you talk about on this side tangent. Talk to us about the financial incentives of using enterprise for property management, because that's really, we got, we got to get down to the meat of it. And I kind of okay. sidetracked you with a trending question because you know, I always want to talk about the trends. You know, we, I know. We, can, we can get the pitchforks out and start talking about Zillow. But the other side of that is talk, yeah. to us about the, yeah, talk to us about the financial stuff going on, the incentives of being able to use enterprise. Please go from there. Yeah. Okay. So we touched on this before. This is the, what I refer to as the monetary benefit, right? Like we've, I've bored you to death with the compliance benefit. Here's the monetary benefit. So this is all called analysis banking. And my tagline, I feel like whenever I talk about this is analysis banking either works for or against you, depending on which, which bank you're with. More often than not, it works against you. Um, but it, we've always been consistent. We've stayed consistent with this um, for our property management clients. It essentially just allows the bank to not only, you know, work, analyze your accounts in order to give you free banking. That's the, the main goal, of course, is free banking. So you're offsetting any bank fees at the bank for any of your accounts under your relationship, but then earn a net credit on top of that. So that net credit, while it's not interest to the customer and it never has been, and for, there's many reasons why it's better that it's not interest, but that net credit can be used towards... <clears throat> third-party invoices. So have to be something kind of banking accounting related with some exceptions. We have some, some industry partnerships outside of um, banking accounting related, but it, we pay directly to the vendor. So it's not like you pay and then we're, we reimburse you. You just give us the invoice and we pay. So it's offsetting customers' um, third-party expenses, like for instance, their property management software or their third-party bookkeepers, CPAs. There's an entirely long list of invoices that would that are deemed eligible. And like I said, we have some other uh, partnerships as well. But uh, it's kind of a no brainer, to be honest, but it's very specific for each company. So we would do, a, we would, you know, get chatting about their company and give a proposal. But um, yeah, I mean, I have customers, I have small customers, very small who are earning maybe like, you know, 100 or 200 a month in net credits. And then I have customers who are earning like, 15, 16,000 a month in, in net credits, right? So um, it's not, like I said, it's not income to you. So it's um, definitely a way to offset your bottom line. And like Crazy I said, switch. kind of a no brainer. Yeah, yeah, it really is because you're looking yeah. at, let me go to my local bank and then spend hundreds, maybe thousands in fees, yeah. right? You have this fee, that fee, the other fee that, you know, and then you're looking at a net loss of a thousand, 2000 a month. And then you come to a Seacoast, <laughs> which is now enterprise, and you yeah. have a net gain of a thousand or two thousand a month. There really is a complete switch, and a lot of people are like, "Wait, that's too good to be true." What? I, I don't believe you. Yeah. How does that really work? No, it can't be like that. I mean, banks don't work like that, and they, they have a really hard time believing it. And then they try to take that to their current bank, and watch their current bank try to beat that up. Have you seen that scenario? Yeah, I see it all the time. I, uh, I will tell you, more often than not, the answer from the bank is like yeah, they can do it. It's legal, but we're not going to do it. Or they'll say, yeah, we can put you on analysis um, and you'll offset all bank fees. But if you have you know, a net earnings after that, we're not going to let you do anything with it. Or you have to put it towards our services. So like, I don't want to say the name out loud. It's a huge consumer bank that's probably in almost every state. So anyone would know it. But like they would say, okay, if you're earning net, which is almost impossible with this bank, um, if you're earning a net, you can only use it towards our services. So like 
they have their own payroll division, right? So you have to use payroll through them. Um, that's just an example. But no, and I, I think also too, and this is where I go back to consistency that I talked in the beginning. This is something we've been doing since, I mean, even before I joined. So like 2008, 2009, right? We have always stayed consistent. We will continue to stay consistent doing that. Banks try to come in and do it <clears throat> maybe because they're very loan heavy. When you're very loan heavy, you need to bring in deposits, right? Like you need to put out promo rates, whatever it is to crank those deposits in. We've never had that problem because we have SBA. SBA is like our monster lender within Seacoast, right? So in order to do that, we have to keep up with the deposits. And that will always be consistent. And in order to keep up with the deposits, we're going to continue to giving, continue to be giving that benefit back to the industry. With that said, property management is our main focus, always has been uh, on the specialty deposit side. So um, yeah, we give, we, we tend to take care of that industry well. I'm glad you explained all that because a lot of folks kind of forget that sometimes. And mm -hmm. it's out there in the forums, it's out there under discussion groups, you know, the small groups, everybody talks about that. But it's really it's good to hear you explain it. Uh, and from our perspective, it's fantastic for us. It does pay for our software. We use it you know, for that. And there's other things that we can pay with it. And so I'm just echoing what you've already told us. Now, circling back and back again, you know, I yeah, yeah, yeah. you with that tangent. <laughs> You know, circling back on the backside, uh, now we want to talk back about the <clears throat> trends that we're seeing uh, in the property management industry. So I'm going to talk about one I'm seeing, and then I'm, and you're going to bring up potentially one that you might be seeing. I think the remote team members has been a building yeah. trend over the next, or excuse me, over the last three, four, five years. Now, totally. I have remote, I have remote team members that are in another country that have been with us now for four plus years, and think of that. Okay, that the same ones have been with us for that long. And so this has been a trend, but not a trend. So we, we saw it start to really take hold when the COVID hit. And this is something that we've talked about on the show before, where when that started to hit, people started to realize, whoa, you know, people can work remotely and it actually does, it's okay. Because we can offer zero touch leasing and we can do all these things that are done remotely. And we don't necessarily need somebody, you know, grinding away at the office from nine to five every day. And so the remote team members has been a uh, huge trend. Now that's just kind of a statement. We don't want you to kick that around, but mm -hmm. I wanted you to bring up what you had talked about in the green room as far as trends you're seeing. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, real quick though, I'll say yes. Uh, the amount of the additions in remote bookkeepers that I've been seeing is it has like skyrocketed since honestly probably right before COVID. Ironically, I don't know why skyrocketed. I feel like everyone all of a sudden has remote bookkeepers. Great. I support it. I think it's great. Have a neutral hand in the oh, and tangent on, that side, tangent on that side, you offer some sort of like read-only access and other stuff like uh -huh. that for remote. Talk us through that because I think that's kind of interesting. And I know I keep, you know, tangenting, but yeah, this, no this is this is a really good, this is a big concern because, okay, I want to hire a remote bookkeeper, but I don't want to give them access to my hundreds yeah. of thousands, millions of dollars, right? So talk us through how that works. Yeah, so that's actually how I know. That's the only reason I know that everyone's getting all these remote bookkeepers, right? Because people are reaching out and saying, hey, my bookkeeper, wherever they are, Philippines or close by, wherever they are, they need access to the account. So that half the time they're working in the middle of the night, right? They're not going to be calling up the customer asking for information. So we give them view-only access to the account. So essentially they can go in, they, it's just that it's view only. They can pull statements, they can pull transactions, they cannot even internally transfer between accounts. I mean, there's literally no 
processing within their profile that they can do, but they can see whatever you want them to see. And if you tell us you only want them to be able to see the security deposit trust account, or you want them to be able to see the client trust account, or you have a, you know, a virtual CFO and they can see operating accounts, that's fine. We can, you know, we can specify what they can and cannot see based off of your security concerns, but it is you only always. Yeah. And that eases a lot of people's concerns. I mean, that's, it's kind of a no brainer. sounds easy for you, but People think of that in the beginning, like, oh, I'm not going to give access to somebody you know, yeah. in the country at all this money. And, and essentially, we are money managers, and that's what we do. And so, we, yeah, we manage properties, but essentially, managing the money is first and foremost as a property management company. And, and I know you could argue that if you want, but really, that's the bottom line, because if you don't do that mm-hmm. correctly, you're not going to be in business very long. If mm-hmm. you screw up a, uh, a turnover and it takes you 10 days instead of five days, okay, no one's going to come at you and shut you down for that. But they mm-hmm. will if you screw up your your accounting, and so that that's always a concern. And so that's interesting. You you actually see the hard data on it in the background. Yeah, which again that reminds me of another thing. We'll get back to it about another trend. I know I said I would only give you two, but there's another one that I've been seeing lately that I think actually makes me really excited again about our new product. Um, but the one that the the number one that we kind of touched on in the green room. Um, is mergers and consolidations, right? So I kind of compared this to, and I'll give the audience more context here, but I compared this to the SBA PPP rollout in April, right? I don't even know what day to say, in, back in April, the first rollout. When that happened, people, not just your industry, everyone acted out of fear, right? Whether you actually in hindsight needed that PPP or not, you did it because you have no idea what the unknown was, right? So that was crazy. That was wild compared to second round of PPP. But um, what I've been seeing in that same context with property management companies is right around that same time. And a lot of it is still kind of pending. Like I, there's stuff out there that people aren't even aware yet, um, aware of yet, but that's murder. So people, I feel like were, some of them were perfect, you know, um, marriages. Some of them had legitimate reasons behind doing it. But I did notice some of like the more, smaller mom and pop companies, I feel like felt like, well, you know, we're going to have these eviction moratoriums, we're going to have these lawsuits, you're going to have all of these issues that you're going to need the legal resources for. And the, the, I, the conversation was, do I sell? Or do I merge with a company? And we are just, like I said, stronger together, right? And that's what I've been seeing a lot of. Obviously, I think we've all been seeing a lot of uh, selling. I have a list of companies I know who are selling right now, you know, in the process. Um, and I don't know what, I, I don't know if COVID drove them to that or not, but I feel like a lot of these small, you know, one, two, three companies who are merging together, the smaller ones and nothing that is even that popular right now in the industry was really just because they felt like we're stronger together in this the, with the fear of the unknown of what's going to happen. Yeah, there's often a push-pull scenario in any sort of acquisition or selling ac- uh, action. And the push is to where, what is pushing you out of the industry? What is saying mm-hmm. it, it's your time to sell? A push could be that you're 70 years old. A push could be that you're going through a divorce. A push could be that, right. yeah, that you're, you're seeing something that you don't like in the industry or something along those lines. But then there's also something pulling you. Like, what is pulling you to sell? The pulling action could be, I want to go live on a sailboat or I want to go, you know, fly to the moon or ride an RV around the country or whatever it could be. That's, there's a push-pull to almost every sale or merger acquisition 
opportunity. And so we're seeing this more and more at the property manager broker where Phil Mazier and I teamed up and we actually help property management companies sell and we help them actually buy others. So we act as mm -hmm. an intermediary and we can act as a representative for either the buyer and or the seller in helping that property management company do what they want to do. I think the acquisition game is strong as far as what's out there. Uh, you're seeing private equity, you're seeing venture capital, you're seeing all kinds of things happening mm -hmm. that are encouraging folks. Now, this is one thing I will tell you, and you, you and I talked about this in Greenham, I don't think it's going to be a significant play to where it's going to transform the industry. I think we are, we are insulated by our own fragmentation. And so I've said mm -hmm. this a hundred times before, and I think that puts us in a very good position. So if you're out there listening to me that you know, if you don't sell, you're going to go under because Zillow is going to come swallow you up. I don't think that's ever going to happen. You know, mm -hmm. and I mentioned Zillow earlier, but Zillow is one of the players that are yeah. coming in and people are having to pay to market now through Zillow. Uh, you know, whether you want to or don't want to, that's really a personal decision. Uh, I can make arguments for both. I've seen arguments for both, but it's a, it's a scary trend that we've been seeing that, oh my God, if they can shut down our marketing, what can they do to us next? Can they, mm -hmm. can they come in and recreate the wheel and start their own management company and people pay you know, $9 a year to be managed by Zillow? I mean, it really is kind of a scary thing, but I, I would say that rely on yourselves that you're doing a very good service for what you're doing out there in, in your own marketplace community, that nothing like that on a, on a national level, trying to do one thing a hundred different ways in a thousand different markets is ever going to really put you out, put you in a position where you are forced to sell. It's a trend and it's fun to talk about, right, Allison? But uh, at the end of the day, yeah. the, the, the acquisition game, the mergers is a pretty significant deal. Now, we talked about this too. I mean, I would think uh, my market, San Antonio, is right for mergers. Like, what if I merged one of my companies with another company in San Antonio? I'm a firm believer that if any sort of merger could happen in the same market, that mm -hmm. you will see an increase of net operating income of 10%, maybe more. And there, it's real simple. Instead of using two bookkeepers to manage your, pro, your, your yes, company, exactly. you, you use only one. Instead yep. of five property managers, you use only three. It's, it's economies of scale. And when you hear that term, it's like, okay, I don't understand. What, that, what does that mean, economies of scale? It's simple. You lower your overhead. Mm -hmm. Okay, That's the bottom line. So if you lower your overhead 10%, that goes straight to the bottom line of your profit, an additional 10%. Right. So I, could start to, I would start to venture that you're going to see more and more mergers. Great example. Um, to give those guys credit, Home Vault and some of those guys, what mm -hmm. they're doing, uh, Tony Klein, Sean, uh, I'm going to, Matt, Matt Tringali, and then Jay, Jay Matt, Danny, Correct. yeah. Yep, mm -hmm. I know all those guys really well. And they, they created an entity now where they've uh, started a faction to where they merged. Now, they're in mm -hmm. five different markets or six different markets. Where they're seeing the economies of scale is the remote team members, right? Yeah. And I've had this conversation with them. So they, instead of using you know, 25 remote team members for all five or six markets, they're using 15. And, I, and that's not correct math. I'm just using hypotheticals. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but that's where they're seeing the economies of scale to where now they also pool resources. So if they have an opportunity, opportunity to acquire another management company that wants to exit, they have those opportunities in front of them where they can merge those resources together to potentially make a purchase. So it's a really neat thing they're doing. Uh, you know, the only... The only caveat, the only red flag that I would see is you got a lot of chiefs there and you know, not a lot of Indians. So a lot of cooks in the kitchen, as they say, right? That's their only precaution. But I think they handled that all up front with good operating agreement. And so we really got on a tangent there talking yeah. about Yeah. Well, no, but I agree with you. Like, I, I mean, I think honestly, so Homevault is a great example. I think that they really did it 
they did it quietly too, which I thought was very interesting. They did it very quietly. I mean, even as their banker, I was, it was very quiet. Uh, they did it quietly and they, but they came out strong, right? They came out really strong. And yes, there are, you're right. There's a lot of what I refer to as executives there, but they all have a very clear path on what they're spearheading, right? Like I believe, I think, I think, I think it was Matt Trangali who was like really big on the remote team members for a long time. I hope I'm not wrong there, but right. So he kind of like spearheads that. I mean, we've got Kristen on the financial side, Kristen, Sean, it's just, I feel like they, they mapped it out very well. Um, so that everybody is spearheading the right arena. And yeah, I mean, they're, the fact that they're in, they were all in different regions was actually really smart because like you said, you, you, if you want to take over, not take over, but you want to merge someone in that or take over a region, right? That's actually easier, easier. Like if you merge with somebody in San Antonio, yeah, you can actually take over that region. I understand. And I agree with you that not one company is going to take over the entire industry. But when it comes to regions, you have a good chance of doing that. I like that they were in different regions so that because they, their plan is to continue to acquire, right? So like now they're going to start taking over, hopefully for them, several different regions. Um, I think it was smart. I think that they, they, they're doing a great job. Yeah, the, you know, the standard acquirers are still out there. You have the Home River Groups, you have the Evernest, you have the Mines, you have right. probably forgetting five others. You have uh, several on the West Coast that started up. So yep. there's, there's others out there and they're doing the acquisition game, but it's really kind of a neat trend to see some of this consolidation stuff because what we're seeing in other industries, and I brought this up before, is you see it in the dentistry world. You see this in the veterinarian world. And so instead of uh, a pack of rubber gloves costing $25, a pack of rubber gloves costs them $5 because they can buy it at thousands of them at a time yep. over across yep. this entire spectrum. And so that's the fun stuff we're starting to see. Uh, and I think that's that's a, a fun trend. So other fun trends right now, let's let's switch gears a little bit, is the conference game. So the conferences have been just, you know, all over the place, right? Uh, COVID has like shut everything down. Uh, the property manager mastermind conference was like one of the last one that actually got in and the very last one. The skin of our teeth. Like we we yeah. completed that the first part of March. And the next week they were starting to talk about shutting down. And of course, yep. within the next few weeks, they were shut down. And we really haven't been open since. Uh, broker owners coming up pretty soon. That's going to be in Connecticut. So we, we, uh, we were watching that anxiously to see if that's going to happen for them. They say it's going to happen in person. So, but you know, you're dealing with, with a state and, and federal entity that they may not be able to control. I'm hoping they have a super good conference. Now, the Property Manager Mastermind Conference for 2021, knock on wood, looks to be shaping together nicely. The state of Texas is opening up as of today, March 10th. And so that means the 100% back to normal with the restaurants, the mask mandate is removed. Now, if you want to wear a mask, go ahead. For some of you, I'd recommend a full body mask that are going to attend the conference. You, <laughs> you know, mean like because, yourself? <laughs> hey, that's not very nice. Yeah. We're all going to take a vote here. Who wants Brad Larson to wear a full body mask? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to wear a Yoda mask. That's what I'm going to wear. If I'm going to wear a mask, that's going to be something cool like Yoda, maybe yeah. you know Chewbacca, something cool like that. Yeah. But, it, the mastermind conference is going to happen here at the end of May. That seems to be, it's going to be a, a kick, you know what, time. Uh, so I would encourage everybody to go look at pmmcon.com to check that out. And so the conference world after that, hopefully we'll get back to more normal to where we start seeing some of these others that we were used to seeing, they start popping up. And, and of course, you're going to be a lot of those at a lot of those in those trade shows at conferences, mm -hmm. talking to people, doing what you're doing. And that's, that's I'll where be really, a people really learn. 
Yeah, I'll be at pretty much all of them so far. The ones that I, any, any that are in person that are coming up in person that are officially in person. I think that, I think that PMMCon is officially in person. To be honest, I thought PMMCon even prior to the governor, the governor lifting his mandate was still going to be in person. Um, but, uh, the others, and I'm very, very confident that Broker Owner will be in person. Well, you know, half and half. I think they're doing, allowing some to call in virtually. And I'm curious to see how that'll turn out. But any of them that'll be in person will be there. Um, I don't know that I'll believe that it's in person until I'm on the plane flying there, but we'll be there. Um, yeah, I think that, but also in, in regards to like the, the companies who are merging, right? That's where a lot of that business happens. So I think that outside of just getting a broker um, and the conferences, I think that that, you know, the, you, what you and Phil did by creating the, sorry, the broker mastermind, um, I think that that filled a big gap right? Because COVID happened, you couldn't go to all of these conferences right now. I mean, I'm so excited for PMMCon, so excited for Broker Owner, but those are still, we don't, we still don't know about all the others. Um, now you have this, you have this other outlet before that people had like conferences and, you know, you're lucky if you can kind of like talk to the side with someone about, um, you know, acquisitions or mergers. Um, but, and then it was like, I think there's like two brokers in the industry who, so people know, um, and that's also based off of regions who could help with that. So yeah, I think conferences are so needed and they've been missed. And I'm telling you, if I can't do any more of these virtual conferences, <laughs> I am like, I am just virtualed out. That's for sure. We always joke that, that a lot of people get an acquisition, a purchase opportunity by standing at the buffet and yeah. the person next to them elbows them. And says, "Hey, you know, I turn sixty-five next year. Are you interested in buying my company?" Mm-hmm. And then it just smacks you in the face. You're like, "Oh my god, I've, I've got an opportunity to purchase a company that I'm not even prepared to do anything from anything. I don't know anything about anything." Right. It, it does kind of sneak up on you, and this is why we always tell people to be prepared to sell. And or if you're prepared to sell, you're also guess what? Prepared to buy because if your house is in order, you can go to a bank like a Seacoast, now Enterprise, who has an SBA lending division and go get a loan to potentially execute on an acquisition. And that's a big part of what we're talking through people with is through the property manager broker, is talking them through acting as their representation and or intermediary to put those deals together. Because we get a lot of folks that come to us and say, hey, I've got, I've got an opportunity to buy my competitor because they're yeah. retiring and they want to move. You know, they're, they're going to go sail around the world. But I don't know anything about how to do any of this. And so yeah. what are their options? They can go to a, a business broker in town that will ask them a hundred questions about what is property management at all. Like they've right. never even heard of it. Yeah. Or they can seek out uh, an attorney who wants to drag that transaction along forever and ever and ever and ever because they're getting paid hourly. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know I'm being devious, but that is pretty close to the truth. And, and so they, they have limited options. And in addition to Bill is also a licensed valuator. And he's a, uh, an expert at the NARPA accounting standards. So that helps everybody. Now, this is not meant to be a discussion on that, but we're starting to talk through mergers and acquisitions. And I had to at least talk through some of what we were doing. No, but I, but I agree with that because that's the thing. I mean, I think that the resources are most important. I don't really believe in the business brokers that are not actually like specialized in your industry. I think, like you said, they're just like bankers who aren't specialized in your industry, right? Like they're going to ask you a million questions and then end up just come to their own conclusion and setting you up however they want to set you up. And they also don't have a huge network. A lot of these, these local companies are selling to 
I don't want to say national because then that kind of paints a picture of these like big national franchises, but these they're, they're, they're not connecting them with people who, who may have better resources in different states, right? And who still may be able to provide what that company wants and who are used to buying all these companies. I have seen, a, not just in this last year, just in the last like 11 years, I've seen people buy to just like, I'm sorry, sell to just random you know, realtors who want to get into the property management industry. And I wish when they tell me that, I wish that they had gone to the right resources. Even myself, come to me, I can put you in touch with a million people who want to buy or, you know, or other sell, vice versa, or I can put them in touch with, you know, you guys, you and Phil. There's many other outlets you can go through that does not involve this local business broker or attorney. And, I would and it doesn't have to be the big, huge companies. Yeah. yeah. And I would caution any seller out there. Yeah, it would be easy to get some leads for potential purchasers. It's, it's a Facebook post away right? Mm -hmm. But you're walking down a path you may not be really well, well versed at, which could cost you hundreds of thousands if you yeah. screw that up. Yeah. And so let an opportunity, let, let a business broker come in and, and white label you and get you competing offers. Mm -hmm. That's how you end up selling for the most and for the best terms, because it's pretty easy to get you the most money. But if it's at the terms that are going to create a holdback situation where you end up getting kind of screwed over, that's not good. That's not going to be good for anybody. And that's what these professional acquirers, not saying anything bad about anything, anybody mm -hmm. in their industry, but I'm talking about other industries. You'll see professional acquirers who do, do that 40, 50 times a year. Mm -hmm. They know the angles to push. They know the verbiage. They know the attorneys. They know the documents. They know the ways to kind of screw somebody over in the end with these holdbacks, mm -hmm. these yep. provisions, these clauses. Well, no, Allison, you dyed your hair this week, so we're we're holding back fifty percent of your purchase price. You know, right. they will come up with the craziest stuff, and if you're not careful, you can walk right into an L-shaped ambush and really, really get hurt. Right, because then once once the deal's over, the deal's not really over, right? Like once you once you you sign on the dotted line and you think you've won the lottery, there are holdbacks, and there are you know you're still most of the time, and what I've seen most of the time, you're still responsible for the business for a while after that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I always wish, I always wish when I find out that when it happened really quietly, I always wish that I knew or that they went through the right resources when it ends up just being some random realtor who wanted to get into the property management industry. So another thing that I, I got to give you credit for, for being a part of is the PM Health Group. And so this is a faction started by Citizen Home Solutions. Uh, they've allowed me to be one of the moderators. I participate as much as I can, but it's basically a, a, a health conscious group in Facebook, strictly for property managers and or some of the, uh, the industry players like vendors, quality vendors like yourself. And we encourage people to look into that to contribute because it kind of keeps you accountable. It keeps you motivated. It's, a, it's an interesting place to see what's going on out there in the health mm -hmm. world. And you've been a big contributor for that. So I wanted to thank you for that. And so we see some really cool success stories like people wanting to go through weight loss transitions. You know, mm -hmm. Mark Sorzel, he's doing a great job at that people wanting to set goals to run their first marathon or just people wanting to go on daily walks, you know, stuff like that. It's really kind of been a neat thing. Yeah. But I think that the, the ones that you didn't touch on that I think are just as important are that people touch on in there is their mental health, right? Like that's starting to be, especially because of COVID, that's starting to be a bigger trend. I pay more attention to those. I'm not very loud about my workouts. That's for sure. Um, and I champion everyone who is, I'm just not. 
because I try to just squeeze them in and get back to work. But, um, but definitely I pay a lot of attention to mental health. And like, even if you think about, um, uh, Aaron Marshall from Key Renter, right? Like he's when he, I think this it's been over a year now, but he's on there talking about, you know, his, um, his cancer journey and how he's going plant-based, right? So I think that it's not just working out anymore. It started being a lot about working out and keeping busy and it still is. And that's, that's obvious, you know, I think that's, that contributes more to our mental health and our physical health than anything anyway. But, um, it's now, they talk a lot about wellness and mental health and I appreciate that. And I think it's much, much needed in, um, in this world. What are you most excited about for the rest of the year? So here we are, March, uh, 2021, what's going to be, what's getting you fired up the most? Probably a tie between in-person conferences, <laughs> getting back into in-person conferences. Um, and, you know, from a personal standpoint, well, not it's business, but from my own perspective and my own agenda, just getting through with, you know, the end of conversion, um, getting back to, you know, my, my real business. Um, we, I've just been, you know, sunk down in this merger. There's a big project and um, I'm ready for that to just be over and behind us so I can get back to my real business, which I feel like we've been pretty successful at. So I want to get back to that. I can tell you need some in-person conferencing because you're starting to stammer and you're starting to, you know, look a little- I have a cold. <laughs> we, we got to cancel last week because of your cold and we didn't get to cancel because of mine. It's the Brad, it's the Brad Larson show. You know, we had snowmageddon there. We, you know, we had to bear, unbury ourselves from 20 foot of snow. Where I, had to I live in Massachusetts. I live in Massachusetts. <laughs> don't, don't battle me. Uh, I could try to do my Boston accent, but I'd probably butcher it, but- <laughs> Anyway, yeah. so fantastic discussion, Allison. I want to thank you for coming on the show. I thought this was really cool to hear the ins and outs of what's going on with the merger and now new formation of the enterprise system. Uh, you are now Captain Kirk of the enterprise. So <laughs> lead us to all the cool solar systems out there. So uh, again, thanks, Allison, for coming on. I plan on seeing you at the Property Manager Mastermind Conference here in May. And uh, look forward to seeing great things from Enterprise. Thanks again. Take Thank care. you. Thanks. With Rent Bridges property management, marketing, and workflow automation tools, take your business to the next step. Reduce overhead costs by up to 60%. Eliminate human error through automation. Make all your processes consistent and predictable. Have transparency and control through detailed and sophisticated reporting. For property managers that want to work smarter, not harder, RentBridge. Call us 972-805-8535 or visit rentbridgegroup.com. This has been a podcast episode by propertymanagementproductions.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave us feedback, and come back for our next episode.